This episode is brought to you by Vistage. With more than 20,000 members, it's where CEOs go to grow their companies and themselves. Learn more at Vistage.com. Welcome to the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman. Unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Ian interviews some of the brightest minds who share proven methods to help you achieve success and grow revenue with integrity. Every episode concludes with a quick recap of actionable steps you can take to deliver tangible, immediate results for your business. Now, here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, I'm thrilled to be joined by Jay Baer, the co-host of the award-winning best marketing podcast, Social Pros. Jay's company, Convince and Convert, is the go-to company for many of the world's biggest brands. He's also the most retweeted digital marketing guy on the planet. Oh, and he's the author of five New York Times bestsellers, most recently, Utility. We're going to talk about how customer service and interaction has changed from a private interaction to a spectator sport. We're going to discuss why customer service doesn't mean the customer is always right. Jay will explain the exact number of times you should reply to a customer service situation online. And finally, what does it mean that we spend $500 billion each year on marketing and less than 2% of that on customer service and retention? Get out your notepad. You're going to learn a ton from Jay Bear. Jay Bear, welcome to the show, man. I am delighted to be here, my friend. How are you? Delighted, man. I don't know if I'm buying that, but you know what? I appreciate the gesture. That's awesome. I'm, enth- I'm enthused. <laughs> I am over the moon. I am tickled pink to be on the show. All of those are suitable replacements. It's way better than melancholy, so that's all I could ask for. <laughs> um, so one of the things I want to talk to you about today is this whole idea of how the world of customer complaints and customer interaction has changed. And I know this is something that you are beyond a subject matter expert in. So give us some thoughts on that. Oh, it's look, it doesn't matter what you're doing and what business you're in. At some point, some of your customers are going to have feedback. And even the best organizations in the world are are less than perfect at times. And, And we have, as business people, lived with a tremendous advantage uh, since the days of Pompeii until approximately 10 years ago, which is that over the course of time, all of the feedback from our customers has been manifestly uh, and almost entirely private. People would call you in private. They would email you in private. They would, they would come to the front desk in private. They would write you a letter and put a stamp on it in private. And now much of our customer interactions are no longer private. They're very, very public. And whether uh, those are taking the form of social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and beyond, uh, ratings and review sites like Yelp, TripAdvisor, G2 Cloud, TrustRadius, whatever the ratings and review sites is in your particular industry, uh, or discussion boards and forums, an increasing share of customer interactions and certainly an increasing share of customer negativity is now out there for everybody to see, and it is a challenge for all businesses of all types. I know that when companies hear us talk about customer service and how, how we should respond, the typical trap they fall into is this notion of feeling like we're telling them, oh, the customer is always right. But that's not really the message here, is it? Not at all. The customer is, is not always right, but the customer should always be heard. And and that's for two reasons. And one of course, you, you want to try, or I shouldn't say of course, I believe that, that you should want to try to keep that customer. 
that that we spend entirely too little time, effort, and money on customer retention and spend too much time on customer acquisition. In fact, a uh, fun statistic for you. Each year globally, we spend about $500 billion on marketing and about $9 billion on customer service. Now, this is despite the fact that everybody who's ever spent more than half an hour in business knows for a fact that it is much more financially efficient to keep customers you've already earned instead of having to fill a leaky bucket and get into this, this customer acquisition cycle. We know that to be true. That, that is, it's almost axiomatic. Yet, we spend so much more money on marketing than we do on, on customer service and customer retention. So first of all, I think it's important to put a greater effort into customer retention just strategically. But second, and this is really the, the biggest uh, shift, is that today customer service is a spectator sport. <laughs> of course, you want to try, you know, you want to try and, and, and maintain the customer relationship, but it's much more important to be on the record in public because there could be dozens or hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of other people who can see the interaction that you're having with this unhappy person and they see it playing out in public. So how you reply to, to negativity, how you respond to upset customers in public online venues tells people exactly what kind of company you are, what your values are, and what you're made of. And, and Jay, I know, that, I know that you can give us some great guidance on how people should respond. But before we get to that, what I want you to talk about is, and, and you and I have discussed this before, I know that there are different categories of types of reviewers online. And they're not all looking for the same outcome. And so can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, there's, there's actually, uh, I did a bunch of research, some really comprehensive and terribly expensive research uh, for, for my forthcoming new book, Hug Your Haters. And, and what we found is that there's actually two main types of haters, two totally different categories of people who complain. You have the offstage haters, and, and we call them offstage haters because they complain in private, those legacy channels that we're all familiar with, mostly telephone and email. And then you have the onstage haters who complain in public, and that's, again, social media, uh, discussion boards, review sites, etc. But what's really interesting about those two groups, there's some differences demographically and technology aptitude and things like that, but the most interesting difference is that offstage haters, people who complain via phone, people who complain on email, they want an answer. They expect an answer. The same is true of you, I'm, I'm sure, my friend. If you, if you call a business or leave them a voicemail or email a company, you fully expect them to get back to you. It's just how the world works. It's the social contract, Absolutely, right? Absolutely, yeah. Conversely, people who complain in public don't necessarily expect an answer. What they really want is an audience, they're they're complaining so that their friends say, oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you, Ian. That must really suck. It's like this group empathy counseling session. In fact, the research that we conducted shows that less than half, less than half of all onstage haters expect a response. So what's amazing about that is, is it's a huge opportunity for business because when you do respond to somebody who complains in public online, they don't see you coming. And so when you do respond, it blows their minds and wins their hearts. I remember you and I, and we, we haven't talked about this since, you and I were at an event together 
in uh, in Maryland. We stayed at this hotel where we had some very interesting experiences, and I actually sent a note into the hotel. And this is a, this is a Marriott property, and they had messed up some things. That stuff happens. I found out by the way that general manager had been there for a total of two weeks. And his first comment to me was, "Let's just say I've got my work cut out for me." So it was it was like very authentic that he basically acknowledged, "Look, I got some stuff to do." And I was taking a trip with my family that next week to the UK, and so we're talking about it. I said, "Look, you know, I'm going to be in the UK." He says, "Oh, okay. Where are you going to be?" I said, "Oh, you know, I'm going to be in London." And this guy did his research, figured out where, which property I was at in London, and when we arrived in London. There was a note from him that says, I still look forward to welcoming you back to our property, and I hope your family has a great trip while you're there. And I thought to myself, all right, everything I thought negatively about this guy, he's just resolved because he put forth some effort, acknowledged where they fell short, and then actually did something to help make my next day that wasn't even with him remarkable. Yeah, that, that's a great, great example. Uh, I'd love to get the the details on that. That would be a, a terrific one to to talk about when I'm uh, on the road discussing these kind of themes. And that's exactly right. I mean, they, they, look, it's it's uh, it's not about the customer being right. It's about the customer being heard. Uh, what I talk about on stage uh, when I when I'm delivering presentations about this subject and what I and I talk about a lot in the in the forthcoming book is is haters are not your problem. Ignoring them is because when you ignore somebody. Uh, you are taking a bad situation and making it worse. Because really, when you think about it, not answering a complaint is actually an answer. Yeah, it's saying, I don't care. It's an, an, it's an, answer, it's an answer that says, I don't care, right? It's, it's an answer that says, I, I can't even be bothered to send you, uh, you know, a, a one-sentence reply on Yelp or TripAdvisor, right? I mean, it, you know, and, and you wouldn't do that. What's, what's puzzling to me is that you wouldn't do that offline. You know, if, if somebody sent you a voicemail and said, uh, or, or let's say, let, let's say it this way, the phone rings, okay? You pick up the phone, you say, hello? Uh, and somebody says, yes, I'd like to talk to you about a problem I'm having with your business. And you immediately hang up the phone. Because <laughs> you, you can only do that, take but positive only phone calls. We, we only take positive <laughs> phone calls here, right? I mean, you can't, that, that would be unimaginable. But yet that same scenario plays out online over and over and over and over. Yeah. Now, now, when we think about the offstage and the onstage, if you don't respond to one of those, I mean, what happens if you don't respond to the offstage person? What happens when you don't respond to the onstage person? We actually measured that uh, with quite a lot of depth in the research study. And we found that across the board, when that happens, it decreases customer advocacy. So, so somebody's enthusiasm about your business is is at point X, and point X is typically somewhat diminished because they're already unhappy. That's why they complained. But then when they don't hear back from you, uh, it drops even further. Now, you're absolutely right that it drops further when you don't answer the phone or don't answer the email because, again, it comes down to expectation management, right? People expect to hear back. Um, so, so when you think about the offstage versus onstage, not answering complaints um, hurts you both ways, but when you do answer, it actually helps you more online because they don't expect it. Yeah, and so what's what's the? Give me some examples of kind of the train wreck situations where somebody really screwed up. You know, I mean, certainly there's a million. I mean, probably literally a million um, scenarios where businesses just ignored it. I mean, it, you know, we could yeah. just we could literally right now while we're recording this go to any ratings and review sites or any Facebook page or any Twitter account, 
and, and find, you know, legions of companies that completely ignore all online interactions. Um, but that's, there's no art in that. I think, I think the biggest problem that I see and one that's very avoidable with Jay Bear's rule of reply only twice, which I talk about in the book, yep. is is never reply more than twice um, in any customer service circumstance. You should never, ever, ever, ever reply more than twice to a customer in public ever. Because if that customer is happy, if you reply more than twice, you're just wasting time, right? We love you. Thanks. We really love you. Thanks a lot. You don't need to go farther than that, right? There's no <laughs> point to it. And if it's a negative situation and somebody's complaining, after you've replied twice, you're not going to change their mind, and it sucks you into a vortex of negativity where you have a much higher chance of doing something you're going to regret. So ask and, ask and answer it, right? That, that's the, the biggest problem I see when businesses do this is they get sucked into a flame war, right? They, they get, they get, they get goaded into uh, a, a whole series of online back and forth, and the problem is once it's online, it's there to stay, the thing that I see people do that just I scratch my head is when they start arguing with their client online. <clears throat> so the client says, for example, oh, I wanted this property and the room wasn't clean. And let's face it, the hotel has two options at that point. They can either own it and say, oh, we're sorry you feel that way and you had that experience. We'd love to figure out how to resolve this with you. Or the property can say, you're a lying, cheating scoundrel. And, of course, that just goes down into the vortex of evil. I mean, do, do you see that happen also? Did your research see any of those? Oh, absolutely. It happens uh, all the time. Uh, and, and there's two challenges with that. One, you know, arguing with customers in general is, is typically a bad idea. Uh, and, and two, doing it in a way that other people can then see that argument. It's like, hey, if mom and dad are going to fight, you should go in a bedroom and close the door, right? It's sort of like the social media equivalent of that scenario. Uh, it, it doesn't do your brand any good uh, to, to air that kind of acrimonious dirty laundry uh, out there for everybody else to see. And that's why uh, you know, what, what many businesses do is they say, hey, please call us. And we can, you know, somebody complains on Facebook, for example, and they say, well, please call us and we can talk this over. On one hand, that makes a lot of sense because you're saying, hey, let's take, let's take, let's take public dirty laundry and make it private dirty laundry. Like, I get that. Yep. But one caution I have in that scenario, and I talk about this a lot in the book, is that you have to understand that a lot of people complain on Facebook after they've already called you. And they were unhappy with how that circumstance played out. So, so think about this. Somebody is, is upset about their hotel. They call the hotel and they complain and they're unsatisfied with the answer that they heard or maybe they had to wait too long, a 45-minute hold time or something crazy. So now they're super mad. So now they go to Facebook is like the last resort and they post something on their Facebook page and what do you reply? Call us and we'll sort it out. And you're like, I just finished <laughs> calling you. Right. And at that point, you're like supernova mad. Right. And so you, you've got to understand that a lot of people who complain on stage have already been upset twice. So you've got to be really careful about just sort of relying on this. Well, call us or email us uh, and we'll solve it that way. Uh, I call that sort of the painful channel switching. Uh, and, and you just got to be a little little cautious about it. Yeah. And, and I think also we see the people who give the same generic response to every single complaint. So someone puts something up there that says, oh, you know, gee, I, you know, I ate at your restaurant and there was a, a live animal ran across my table. 
And that gets the same response as someone who says, hey, by the way, we waited an extra five minutes for our meal and everything was great. And both responses say, oh, thank you for letting us know. Please call us. Yeah. I know there's been a huge shift in the world when it comes to reviews and ratings. Mm -hmm. And I know for a lot of businesses, they kind of feel like, you know, those tables have turned and now it's actually unfair. So what can people do about that? And what are you seeing out there in the world? Yeah, I mean, look, ratings and reviews have a huge impact on every business. And and it doesn't even matter. Like, you might think, oh, there's no ratings and reviews in my industry. You're wrong. There is. And if there's not, there there will be. Uh, There's a site uh, called realself.com, which is only ratings and reviews for plastic surgery. Wow. You can go on there and, and score your butt lift from zero to five stars. And and you might think that's insane, but there's 1,200 plastic surgeons participating on that site right now. I mean, it's a huge thing. Um, and ratings and reviews, uh, you know, we, we all have kind of a love-hate relationship with it, but they matter. 80%, 80% of Americans trust ratings and reviews as much as they trust recommendations from friends even though ratings and reviews are mostly written by perfect strangers. It's crazy. But you're right. A lot of businesses, especially small businesses, feel like it's not necessarily an even playing field, like somehow um, they're, they're kind of getting short shrift. And, and in some ways, they're correct. Uh, my company, Convince to Convert, is producing our very first book that, that we're actually putting out there. It's called Manipurated, and it's all about what really happens in the ratings and reviews industry. So if you're a small business... Uh, or even a medium-sized business, and you're trying to figure out Yelp and uh, TripAdvisor or any sort of ratings and reviews industry, it is an incredible book. It's written by Daniel Lemon, L-E-M-I-N, who's a senior strategist on my team, uh, and it is exceptional. It is it is literally step-by-step the exact playbook, the workbook for how to manage your online reputation. It is really fantastic. It'll be out uh, December 1st, uh, available for pre-order now on Amazon, etc. Manipulated. I, I, lo- I love the title, by the way, Manipulated, because that's one of the questions I was going to ask you. It seems like you also see certain reviews where you can tell, like, the owner or his brother wrote the review. And what's the risk on that one? You know, Yelp uh, has some protections against that when they when they believe things to be fraudulent. Um, you know, but certainly some of that slips its way past the goalie, of course. Um, and and I think we'd all prefer to believe that that doesn't happen, but of course it happens. Uh, not not only do not only do family members write positive reviews about their own business, uh, but but family members probably write negative reviews about competing businesses. Uh, you know, that's that's the truth of the matter. Yeah, and, and and I think when we see that, I mean, because I'll get businesses who will literally, um, they'll they'll open and they open with twenty reviews, and you know it's and it's all written by somebody who, ironically, sounds like the same person typing each one, <laughs> because they make the same sort of grammatical errors in each one, and I think that when companies do that, they actually erode trust rather than build trust. Oh, no question that that it's a real problem. Uh, because people sometimes forget that that on sites like that, uh, it's different than Twitter, right? Twitter sort of you know streams past and then it kind of goes away. But on sites like that or Facebook even too, um, you know, if if you're copy and pasting, like that's going to be really obvious. Um, it, it's it's pretty hard to disguise that, and, and so not only should you not write the same review for your own business, well, let me just say it differently, you shouldn't write a review for your own business ever, uh, but you certainly shouldn't write the same review again and again, 
But the same is true if you're replying to customers, right? And, and you see this in hospitality all the time, where, where a hotelier will respond to a review, a negative review on TripAdvisor, and it's always the same thing. Uh, Dear sir, we're terribly sorry we disappointed you. We're going to take your feedback under advisement uh, and use your observations to make our business better, right? And then literally every single review is the exact same sentence. And it literally is copy and paste, copy and yep. paste, copy and paste. And, and I will tell you, that the research shows that that is better than nothing. You are better off copying and pasting than not answering, but it doesn't take a, a genius to, to see that that's the minimum level of effort that you could possibly put into this, and, and uh, people are wise to it. Yeah, and, and it, prob- it probably results in the consumer saying, oh, these guys care so much about the customer that they took the time to copy and paste the same thing. As opposed to, wow, this person actually responded to my specific situation. And guess what? All you have to do is change a couple of words and it's going to feel like it's totally different. Absolutely. And and look, the way I I see it, if you're going to commit to doing this, and I think you should, uh, I think you should hug your haters and I think you should read Manipulated and and really understand what's going on there. But if you're going to spend time on this, I mean, the, the extra... 11 seconds it takes to to write a a personal uh, sentence as opposed to a copy and paste is is probably worth it. It's the same thing with LinkedIn invites, right? If you're going to try and connect with somebody on LinkedIn, instead of just pressing the button that sends the automated connection, I mean, take the 11 seconds necessary to actually write a sentence. Exactly. And that's one of the, you know, I often tell people, I say, look, don't use the app to send a request because it doesn't allow you to customize it. You just yeah. get on your smartphone just a generic request. And honestly, when I get those, I tend to respond and say, gee, what inspired you to connect? Or were you just like bored in a waiting room and said, oh, I'll connect to him. <laughs> oh, click, click, click. Yeah. It is puzzling that the app doesn't allow that. I, I don't I don't understand that. That's weird. seems like that wouldn't be a... Um a a, diff, a difficult uh, thing to add. I'll have to take that under advisement and uh, and bring that and bring that out to people. Now, there's all sorts of different ways that people can interact with the customer now. So it used to, you know, if you, if you look back historically, someone was going to walk into your office and talk to you, and then someone said, "Oh, we're going to have this thing called a phone." People now said, "Oh, well, now they're going to call and order and voice concerns via the phone." And then you fast forward to today. And there are so many different channels out there. And now you have things like Blab and Periscope. How can companies use those technologies to interact with their customers and strengthen that customer relationship? It's a challenge. And I write about that a lot in the Hug Your Haters book, that that channel proliferation is a real challenge for business. Because philosophically, I believe that you should meet your customers on the ground of their choosing, not on the ground of your insistence. But what the byproduct of that philosophy is, is that if your customers want to use Snapchat or WhatsApp or WeChat or Blab as a customer service channel, you should probably be prepared to allow them to do that. And, and that requires probably some additional expense on your side and also some additional logistics and, and internal processes and, and things like that. And so um, the, the cost of customer service, um, on one hand, continues to go up because you have to be more places. However, uh, the, the upside is that it is, of course, much less expensive to handle somebody's customer service uh, issues on WhatsApp or Facebook or Twitter as opposed to the phone or, or email. So... At the end of the equation, it's probably a wash, but what we have to do is shift resources into more digital places uh, and away from fewer 
non-digital places, I guess we should call email digital because it is, but I, I would say to more public versus uh, fewer private. Um, but this shift is already happening, whether we like it or not, Ian. In the United Kingdom, uh, in the last, in a 15-month period from January 2014 until May of 2015, complaints in social media about businesses increased 800%. 800%. And, and look, we have kids who are the same age. We both have teenagers. Um, they're the same age. And, and I know this will resonate with you. Both my kids have smartphones, as your kids do as well. But there is no product in the history of products that is, that is more poorly and, and less aptly named than the smartphone because the one thing that they refuse to do <laughs> on that device is actually talk on the phone. Oh, yeah. Uh, they have no, no interest, no interest in it. But they'll send 300 text messages a day, uh, and they use Snapchat the way I eat bacon lustily and greedily. <laughs> but I, I refuse to believe, right, as a parent and as a business person, I refuse to believe that when they get to be 25 and they're productive members, I hope, um, of the workforce, I refuse to believe they're going to say, you know what I've been missing out on? I've been missing out on the joys of telephonic communication. <laughs> that like somehow they're going to you know, eventually have this grand awakening and say, oh, yeah, phone is it. Phone is it. You're you know? crushing me, Jay. You're crushing me because my hope is that my kids are going to get there, and now you're telling me that they're not. My hope is that someday they're going to wake up and want to have human interaction that didn't involve their phone. And now it's backwards. Te- the problem is it's backwards technology from them, right? I mean, it's it's literally it's literally the same as if you and I got to the age of 25 and said, I've got this huge collection of CDs now, but I've decided that really what I should do is go back to 8-track. That, that would be a much better way to go. I shouldn't right? have done you that. Can't put the genie, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. So <laughs> if, if you know, once these kids become the dominant consumer cohort, how much telephone customer service do you think you're going to need to do? And you need, you need to get a hold of that now. You need to start thinking about, okay, what happens when we don't answer the phone anymore? And if you're not thinking about that today, you're already behind. Now, when, when you talk about all these different channels, though, and I'm a big fan of focus, and it's like, look, you can't do every channel well. Could you, could you say to your community, look, we find that we're best able to serve our customers. And keep in mind, I'm talking about a company that may not be big enough to be able to effectively handle all the channels. Could you say, look, we found we can really support people well on these three channels. And then on the other channels, say, hey, thanks for reaching out to us. And as long as it's a pretty popular other channel, do you direct people to those other channels? Not phone, obviously, but, you know, I don't know that, you know, your typical medium-sized business can incorporate every single channel for how their customers might want to interact. How do you balance that? Well, they can. They just choose not to. Yeah. And when you do that, what are you saying? You're saying that your preferences are less important than our convenience. And that's not, that's not, that's not a wrong answer. It's just a business choice, right? And, and, if, you, and, if, you, and if you make that choice, that's, that's totally fine. Uh, I, I, I get that, and we talk about that a lot in the book because it's a very valid question. But ultimately, what it says to the customer is, our convenience, the way we're structured, our budget realities are more important than how you want to contact us. And that's, again, that's not a wrong answer. It's just a business, it's just a business choice. Now, you're right in, in a couple other uh, respects. 
there are some types of businesses that don't lend themselves to certain types of customer interaction, right? It just doesn't, it's just hard to, to do that. And so you'll see um, companies really try and funnel uh, customers through a particular contact mechanism just because it, it just makes logistical sense and operational sense. Um, and, and customers understand that. Um, for example, when you start doing financial services things, you have to get into so much sensitive information and, and account numbers. Same thing with healthcare. Uh, while you can maybe have a presence in some of these places, ultimately the meat of the sandwich is going to have to be on, on the phone typically yeah. or email. And, and so you sort of have this funneling mechanism uh, just because of the nature of the of the interaction, no question. The other thing is that just because a channel exists, um, WhatsApp, for example, WhatsApp is an incredibly popular messaging service, not so much amongst old people like us, but certainly <laughs> our kids, uh, 600 million users. I mean, WhatsApp is so much larger. It's so much larger than Twitter, but nobody even talks about it ever. So much larger than Twitter. Um, and so in some businesses, it makes a lot of sense to use WhatsApp for customer service. In other businesses, it doesn't make any sense because their customers don't, don't use that channel. So I want to make sure that people understand. I'm not saying that you should offer customer service in every channel just because that channel is in existence. But if your customer demographics are such that your customers are likely to want to use that channel, then you should at least consider it and run a business case against it. HP, for example. HP is very strong uh, both in WhatsApp and WeChat uh, in China, and they're doing tons of customer support uh, on those channels. Yeah, and, and I think that maybe part of it is that much like the, much like the complaint that somebody doesn't respond to, if you're in that financial services sector, if you're in the healthcare side and someone reaches out to you via Twitter and you can't effectively handle them, instead of just saying, oh, we don't handle requests on Twitter, if your response was because of the sensitive nature of the information we discuss, we find we can better serve you over the phone, please contact us here, that's a whole lot better than saying, oh, don't call us on Twitter. No question. And, and also, you are probably better off not participating in a particular channel at all than you are having a channel but then not replying. So if you can't if you can't do it at least decent, don't do it at all because you're you're setting up an expectation. If if you have a channel and you occasionally answer people, you're setting up an expectation that if somebody tries to contact you, you will respond. So you're better off unless you can do that consistently just saying we we don't we're not we're not here. This this door is closed. Yeah. Yeah, I um I remember I had a uh, one of the articles I written in Forbes um, not too long ago. I said if you have a channel on uh, on some social media platform that you don't actively use, it's like having a customer service line that you don't answer. That's right. So That's it's right. like, hey, here's a way yeah. to reach us, but we're never going to pick up that phone. Yeah, this one just rings and rings. Yeah. So if that doesn't piss you off, try this one. <laughs> And I think that's uh, that's obviously a powerful lesson for people to, to get because it's funny. If you put yourself in the customer's shoes, you would never do that. But you see companies do it all the time that says, oh, yeah, hey, you know, if you have any questions, post them on our Facebook page. And then every six months, someone looks at the Facebook page and says, wow, look at all the stuff people posted. And like it's a little bit too late for the complaint that you got seven, you know, five months ago about something. Yeah, that, that happens a lot of times. People try and catch up. And, and I guess it's, I, I wouldn't say that that's wasted effort. Um, you know, certainly you've probably missed the opportunity to, to fix whatever ailed that particular customer. But assuming that other people are going to see that interaction into the future, even if it was a few months ago, um, if, if it's in a place that's likely to get 
um, to, to get traffic, to get views down the road, uh, it's probably worth at least uh, dropping in there because, again, spectator sport. Yeah. So, so for those people, last, last thing I really want to know is this. For, for those companies that maybe aren't on the front edge of this but feel like they're lagging behind on this customer service side and maybe they're seeing reviews they don't like and they're trying to figure out how to deal with that, what are some of the first couple or few things they can do to really get a handle on this thing? Obviously, reading manipulated is going to give them a good guide, hug your haters yep. when it comes out, but what else could they do in terms of tactical steps to start moving in that direction? Well, you're going to want to make sure that you conduct some sort of honesty audit in your business. And the way that works is, is you kind of create a spreadsheet of all the different places that people are trying to interact with you and what those interactions look like. So take a 30-day uh, scan, something like that, and say, okay, what's happening uh, via email, what's happening on the phone, what's happening in social media, what's happening in discussion sites, things like that. Create a spreadsheet that says, all right, what really are the volumes here? You know, how many calls are we getting versus tweets, et cetera? Because a lot of times we make those decisions based on anecdote as opposed to math, and that's a dangerous game to play. So you're better off uh, creating a spreadsheet that, that really looks at what your true volumes are per channel, what the nature of those interactions are, how many were positive, how many were negative, how many were just neutral questions, uh, and then how many of those you answered and, and how fast uh, you were able to answer them. And once you're armed with that kind of uh, information, you can make much, much better uh, decisions for your business about how to handle it in the future. Excellent. So start with that honesty audit. Know how many people, how, how you respond to them, and that gives you a place at least to start to know how far behind you are. So, Jay, what's, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? I mean, I think there might be like three people on the planet who don't already know how to get a hold of you. And for, in case those three, three people are listening now, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Uh, just go to convinceandconvert.com, convinceandconvert.com. That's our award-winning blog, and, and uh, we do five weekly podcasts and a daily email and books and eBooks. information there about Manipurated as well as Hug Your Haters and all kinds of other stuff that we do about digital marketing and online customer experience. It's, it's a wealth of information, and you're such a respected leader in this, in this space, and I am truly grateful for you taking the time to share your wisdom with us. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Jay is just such a wealth of knowledge. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of some of the biggest takeaways I think you can apply to your business right away. First, haters are not your problem. Ignoring them, however, is your problem. Not answering their question or issue is an answer. The customer isn't always right, but they do need to be heard. Remember, the offstage complainer wants a response, and the onstage one just wants an audience. You can blow them away just by giving a warm hug to them. You should respond in public twice, not more than that. Remember, the book that's coming out, manipulated by Daniel Lemon of his team, is the exact playbook for how to manage your online reputation. You can get it right away on Amazon. And if you feel that you're kind of behind the eight ball, start with an honest assessment of how you respond and deal with customer service today. This show gets its direction from you, the listener. If you know someone I should have on as a guest, or if you have a topic you'd love for me to cover or a question you'd like me to answer, please let me know at ian.altman at growmyrevenue.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everyone can embrace, even your customer. Thank you for joining us each week for the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. 
Be sure to subscribe to our program on iTunes or Stitcher. Don't miss Ian's weekly newsletter and be a part of the conversation on growmyrevenue.com and via Twitter at GrowMyRevenue. Revenue.